0: Good morning, Christ City. It is good to be together this morning. Um, I'll say it every time you see me on the screen. Uh, We miss you, we miss being together. I miss hearing you sing. Um, This preaching is gonna be weird without hearing you and seeing your faces. Um, So we just wanna say that we miss you, but we're grateful that we have this technology and that we're all tuned in together this morning. Um, We are in the middle of a series right now that we are calling The Welcoming Kingdom. We've been looking at the radical welcome and inclusion of God's kingdom. And we've been purposefully setting our own orientation and posture as a church towards that welcome. So the series has been abbreviated a little because of our virtual format, which is kind of a bummer because we've been planning this for a long time. Um, But so much of what our church is about Our values, our actions, our vision is informed by what we understand about God's kingdom and its welcoming, hospitable, inclusive nature. A couple of weeks ago, Watson set the scriptural foundation for us for the kingdom's welcoming character. And then last week, Justin tackled some more practical aspects of what it means for us to value inclusivity, particularly what we as an inclusive church community are supposed to do with difference and disagreement. This week, we're taking a step further and I've been asked and tasked to preach on what it means to love your enemies. Uh, So in full disclosure, I do not want to preach this. Um, I did not want to study that, any of that this week it like feels one like one of those times where god is just too obvious about something you're supposed to be learning um so no i do not want to talk about what it means to love my enemies when we are openly dealing with and confessing to and lamenting white supremacy and its many toxic implications for all of us especially people of color most especially black people i do not want to consider what it means to love my enemies when I've had to fight with myself over my own racial identity, what it means right now. I do not want to consider what it means to love my enemies when we're fighting over when to open our cities and whose opinions and lives are prioritized in a pandemic. I do not want to consider what it means to love my enemies right now in the midst of just increasing polarization from what feels like all fronts of society. No, I do not want to talk about it. There are too many fights. There are too many lines drawn. There are too many seeming enemies. But here we are and we're gonna be talking about it. So if I have to, I'm gonna go back to the basics. So today we're gonna do two things. First, we're gonna talk about the why. Why do we love our enemies? We love our enemies because there is inherent value in every human being. We're made in the image of God. That's why we seek to love our enemies. Then we're going to at least try to approach the how. How do we do it? And we're going to be looking at the actions of Jesus as a model for how to love our enemies. So that's very simple, very basic, but that's what we're doing today. So we're going to be in a few different places in the gospel today, but we'll start in Matthew 5, which Sarah read for us. If you'll read with me you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I think it's so interesting that Jesus's command to love our enemies is tied to our identity as children of God. How we treat those who are our enemies is bound up in who we are as God's children as children of God we bear God's resemblance in the creation narrative in Genesis we read that human beings are made in God's image in God's likeness and we call this inherent attribute imago Dei which means in the image of God human beings are image bearers by default Just by existing, human beings have intrinsic worth as creatures who bear God's image within them. We bear imago Dei, the image of God. This is the foundation for why we are called to love our enemies because the imago Dei found in each of us is what's threatened when we're enemies to one another. What does it mean to be enemies then? I've had a lot of trouble articulating what it means to be an enemy. Differences between people do not necessarily make them enemies. Disagreeing with someone does not necessarily make them your enemy. And as we've talked about both in this series and in our previous series on what it means to be the church, acknowledging difference and acknowledging diversity is part of our calling as the church. And the way in which we walk through disagreements is a key part of our discipleship disagreements, lack of understanding, distance, even dislike. Those things are not what make us enemies, even though they can be catalysts to enmity. It's more than that. To be an enemy is to go after another person's dignity, to go after their worth. I think what causes enmity between us is our temptation to deny the image of God in one another. To be an enemy is to deny the image of god in another person to be an enemy is to dehumanize another person it's to seek to deface or damage or flat out deny the image of god in someone else and therefore rob them of their true identity and their god-given value so this week i wanted to see how jesus dealt with his enemies in the gospels how he loved his enemies so I did a quick sweep of all the Gospels. I spent a little bit more time in John and I made sort of like a cheat sheet list of the interactions that Jesus had with those who would be considered his enemies. And this list was not exhaustive, um, but it was still very telling. Jesus definitely had enemies. Jesus consistently faced people who questioned, who tried to undermine his identity as a son of God Of the many interactions Jesus had with his enemies, there were three things that I noted in my little list. First, Jesus used discernment in engaging with his enemies. Sometimes Jesus confronted them. Sometimes he dialogued. Other times, though, he deliberately avoided them, made it a point to stay away from them, didn't answer their questions or even retreats. For Jesus, loving his enemies wasn't a formula. It took discernment, and he was wise about his own capacity to engage. So outside of his arrest and his trials, the most repeated enemy Jesus has encounters with throughout the Gospels are the group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. So in the Gospels, when you're reading about Jesus, like ruffling feathers or getting into some kind of a disagreement, it's almost always with the Pharisees. They were constantly coming for Jesus and not only undermining him, but flat out denying his divinity and therefore his identity. And while we can understand this hesitancy of the Pharisees Pharisees to just, you know, freely accept that Jesus was the son of God, the Pharisees saw Jesus as an enemy because he threatened them. Undermining his identity wasn't just a matter of like religious clarity, It was also the means by which they could retain their power. And so Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees show the widest breadth of what it means to love your enemies. Now, I don't have time to go through all these instances today because there are so many. But throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses discernment and engages with them differently. There are times when he directly confronts them. So when the Pharisees challenge him after healing a man on the Sabbath in John chapter five, Jesus directly pushes back on them to legitimize his authority as the son of God. It's the same thing in John chapter nine, after the Pharisees confront him again, when he restores the sight of a man who was born blind, he makes them so angry that verse 34 says they drove him out. In Matthew 23, the Pharisees have been questioning him and questioning him, trying to get at his identity, um, to illegitimize him, and Jesus rebukes them very sharply. Now, I'm not going to read all that here, but suffice it to say, this is the part of the Gospels where Jesus denounces his enemies to their faces as whitewashed tombs, blind guides, blind fools, snakes, a brood of vipers, and hypocrites. There are times when strong language like this is in fact loving your enemies. It's not all the time, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but this is one way that Jesus engaged in loving his enemies. That said, there are other spots in the Gospels in which Jesus intentionally does not engage with the Pharisees. In John 7, he avoids Judea and travels in secret, so as to avoid confrontation in john 11 jesus retreats to a different town with his disciples because of threats from his enemies throughout his ministry jesus retreats to solitude to pray to reflect to remember his identity and for his own safety he was his life was threatened cultivating our own understanding of how we bear god's image in solitude Protecting ourselves from harm. This is also what it looks like to love your enemies. Discernment is needed. Jesus used discernment. That's the first thing that I noticed. The second thing that I noticed in all of Jesus' interactions with his enemies from the Gospels is that Jesus does not withhold truth from his enemies about himself, about them, or about God. In John 3... Jesus is visited by a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man from the same group that is bent on undermining who Jesus is. This is Jesus's enemy. In John 3, this is the story. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus comes to him at night in secret because he's, he's breaking from the Pharisees by asking Jesus some, some actual sincere questions. Jesus has every right to disengage with Nicodemus because of the enmity between them. In his interaction, though, we see that what Jesus does is reveal truth to Nicodemus. He does not withhold truth. Nicodemus asks more questions. Jesus reveals more truth. Their enemyhood is not a barrier to truth. We see this again in John 18 and John 19 when Jesus has um, been arrested. He's being questioned by the high priest and also by Pilate. He's been conspired against he's been tried unfairly and when Pilate asks him who he is Jesus reveals his identity even to the man who holds all power over him at that point in verse 37 Jesus says to Pilate for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth Jesus did not withhold truth from his enemies the last thing in all of his interactions with with his enemies that I noted was that Jesus protects his own identity as God's son and he protects the Imago day of others, including his enemies. So there's a story in John 4 about Jesus's interaction with a Samaritan woman at a well. This woman wasn't um, a direct enemy of Jesus like the Pharisees were, but instead she was part of a legacy of enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews. So because of religious conflicts and political conflicts, Samaritans and Jews hated each other and they contended for the invalidation of each other as groups. And we can see this even in this short narrative in John 4. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph That last part in parentheses is in the scripture. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. This woman is of an enemy people. And we find out later in their exchange that she's further marginalized and societally discredited because of her marital status and history. So it's so significant then that Jesus chooses to engage with this woman, his enemy, refusing to invalidate her worth and her value Similar to his interactions with Nicodemus, Jesus does not withhold truth from her. He says plainly to her in verse 26 that he is the Messiah, and he's acknowledging her inherent value to know and understand the truth. As Jesus' revelation bears witness to the woman's valued identity, the woman runs back to her city, and she then bears witness to who Jesus is too. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus refused to continue enforcing the legacy of enmity between them, leading the woman to do the same thing. So here are two people, they are enemies, and they're recognizing the value in one another, the God in one another, even though differences and disagreements still remain. They're loving their enemy. Now I'm not here to make a blanket statement on steps to love our enemy. I can't make a a blanket statement on this is how we dismantle enmity. I I can't do that. We've seen that Jesus didn't have just one way to love his enemies, that he modeled um, discernment and, and many different ways of what it means to love our enemies. What I can say though, is that we're called to do it. We are called to love our enemies. If enmity is the marring of the Imago day in another person, we have the responsibility to call that out. Enmity between people seeks to destroy our identity as image bearers. And the gospel does not allow us to be okay with that. We're to call out the ways in which we see people trying to chip away at the image of God and others as individuals and as groups systemically. Jesus condemned the Pharisees so harshly, not only because they were denying his identity, but because in their power over the Jewish community, they were denying the worth of the people that they were meant to serve and oppressing them. This is why we condemn and rebuke and work to dismantle systems and structures that oppress other people because those systems and structures are denying the image of God in other people. This is why we call out all the isms and all the phobias like racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, because at their core they damage the image of God in people. Now I want to reiterate that loving our enemies is not always engaging with them. Loving our enemies does not mean condoning our enemies actions. Loving our enemies is also not disregarding the safety or well-being of those who an enemy might harm, including ourselves. Refusing to deny the Amago Day and all people also includes ourselves. We have to hold on to our own identities as image bearers. And sometimes engaging with our enemies does not allow us to do that. Sometimes it is impossible. We have to use discernment, but we should model our posture towards enemies after Jesus's posture. Our hope for our enemies is restoration instead of revenge, telling the truth, Correcting our enemies is a step towards restoration, but when we dehumanize our enemies, we deface our own Amago day, too. To love our enemies is to refuse to deny the Amago day in them and in us. Loving our enemy is not allowing them to damage, deface, harm or destroy the image of God in you. Loving our enemy is not allowing them to damage, deface, harm, or destroy the image of God in them. Enmity damages your enemy too. This is, this is not to say that we should avoid our enemies or just like ignore that we have them. No, we need to name our enmity. We need to name the ways it threatens both our, our identity and our enemy's identity as image bearers of God. So I was reading an article this week in my study by Pastor Melissa Flor Bixler, and she wrote an article on kind of what it means to love our enemies in the context of immigration issues in the U.S., and it was really good. I, I just want to read part of what she wrote. She wrote, To love your enemies is to call them out of the world of denial and oppression. To love your enemies is to help them see the truth about themselves and show them that something else is possible. To love your enemies is to tell them the story of how once we too were enemies of God and that through the love of God who lived and died and rose among us, we are now called friends. We have enemies because we hope that one day we might call them friends. We can hold this kind of hope, not because of what we're able to do in our own strength, but because of the gospel To love our enemies is to proclaim the gospel. It's to proclaim that we are no longer bound to enmity. We're no longer bound to enemyhood, to hostility, to hatred. This is the good news. This is what Jesus models for us. We are no longer bound to being enemies. We are no longer bound to having to deface the image of God in someone else, even if that's what they're doing to us. We can say to them, you are my enemy, but I don't want you to be. There's another way. This is kingdom living. This is who we are as kingdom people. We're marked by the radical welcome and inclusion of God. Loving our enemies is wanting for them what we want for ourselves. It's refusing to mar their identity as image bearers. Now I don't have a bunch of practical steps for us this morning church. Like I said, I did not want to preach this and you know, I don't want to think about it this week though we're going to have to. Um, I know that this message will hit differently for different people um, I, and I want to give you space to figure out what that means for you. So my ask for us this morning then is very simple. This week, we're going to take some time to name your enemies, just name them and then pray for them. That's it. Name them, name your enemies and pray for them. That's where we can start. (laughs) We can start there even as just a reminder to ourselves that we are not bound to being enemies but that we are called to love. One thing that we do together, when we're together on Sundays in minor and when we're all in our separate spaces and homes, to remind ourselves again of this gospel, of this freedom that we have to not be bound to sin, to enemyhood with one another, is that we take communion together. So if you want to take just a minute and grab the carb of your choice and the beverage of your choice, we're going to take communion together to be reminded of what Jesus has done and through Jesus we are able to live in the freedom to not being enemies with one another.